Welcome to episode 226 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. You know what time it is. We're it's continuing bookcast. the Bookcast series. Bookcast. Calling everybody who's joining us in reading the book. I just lost the title, actually. Reset by David Murray. Nice. And we're into chapter four, where once again, we're going to talk about some stuff we've never talked about before explicitly. We're going to talk a little bit about recreation, about physical exertion, and about the theology of exercise. Nice. Nice. Sorry, my watch is dinging. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get a text message in the middle of an episode, and it's actually something important. Yes, exercise the body. I, I'm I'm stoked about this. As I've mentioned, you know, recently, I'm on a little bit of an exercise kick right now. Um, I got this Apple Watch that kind of like harasses you until you get off your butt and do something about it. So it's been nice because I'm already kind of in the mindset. If we had done this episode, maybe like six months ago, I'd have been like, yeah, yeah, exercise is important, but like whatever. But now that I've actually been like working on getting a good exercise routine going, I was actually excited to read this because a lot of the things that he brings up in the um, chapter that are benefits of exercise, I'm starting to experience due to my increased activity rates. So I'm stoked to talk about this. I think it's, I think it's an often overlooked topic among Christians. This is going to be an interesting conversation. We've got probably more reference once again to the psychosomatic whole, a little bit of trying to wrestle through what theology has to say about exercise and about recreation. And again, topics we haven't really explored yet. But of course, before we get to all that good stuff, let's set it aside for just a second so that we can talk about affirmations and denials. And as usual, I'm super curious for what you want to affirm on this episode. So I'm going to double dip on an affirmation, uh, which is I I'm, I'm going to uh, partially deny myself again on this one here. I'm affirming the podcast Restless. And so I kind of mentioned briefly in a previous episode that we were in talks with a podcast to kind of bring them into the network in sort of like a halfway form. And so uh, the podcast Restless, you know, I think our audience, as I've interacted with uh, other people who are listening to the show and, and who would consider themselves part of the Reform Brotherhood and we would consider part of the Reform Brotherhood, is predominantly people who either are coming out of the Young Restless Reform Movement uh, and, and are starting to become more robustly reformed con, you know, confessional people or people who have already made that. Uh, transition out of kind of out of that young restless new Calvinism phase, um, or it's not even a phase. I used to think of it as like a stage of development, but as I've listened to this show more, it's really almost an entirely different thing. It's it's similar to like going from being a Lutheran to being a Baptist in terms of like the paradigm shifts in some ways that have to happen. And so this show, I think, is really, really important and really valuable for the people who are subscribed to the mega feed. 
So I've been working with the guys over there and uh, we're syndicating their content now. So if you are a subscriber to the mega feed, it should already be in your feed. Uh, I'm denying myself on this one because I was supposed to do this last week and I totally forgot. It's just been one of those weeks where things are busy and it gets away from you. And all of a sudden, you know, I woke up this morning and I was like, oh man, I forgot to do that. So all of their episodes, their past backlog, I think there's 25 episodes. So it's kind of still at that phase where you could conceivably catch up without going crazy. Um, it's all there. It's great. They did a, a recent episode with Luke from City Anchor where he kind of talks about how the, the creeds and the confessions have really been a source of discipleship for him, which is is awesome. Um, they did something with, uh, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but something with Don Carson and Tim Keller about Valentine's Day. Uh, so they're, they're both just really clever, smart guys, um, sharp theology. And I think they have a really good, insightful look at this movement that a lot of people who are in whether, whether you're coming out of the Young Restless Reform Movement, New Calvinism, kind of Matt Chandler, John Piper Calvinism, or whether you are already no longer a part of that movement and are, are sort of into this more robust form of uh, historical, you know, reformed theology, or if you still are a Matt Chandler, you know, Mark Driscoll, John Piper Calvinist, and you kind of want to take a deep dive and see what it is that people like myself and Jesse are kind of a little critical of, I think this podcast really sits positioned well to, to give you an understanding of not only the movement itself, which is by and large is over. It's not really a, a, a thriving movement anymore. But, uh, it, you know, it, it also is a way for you to understand that movement, but also to see why some people are maybe a little bit critical of it. That's a great affirmation. And I'm going to sneak in to say that people should go out and go to reformpodcasts.com and find more information about what we keep calling the mega feed, because yes. this is all of the podcasts that are part of the Reform Society of Podcasters. And there's no law in this. So we're encouraging you to subscribe to that. If you see one that you don't want to listen to, that's okay. You just swipe it away. Yep. But this gives you like almost a built-in exposure to lots of different voices in different formats with different content, but all under the rubric of Reform Theology. So what I love about it is it's like a built-in way to get exposure, even like new and up-and-coming podcasts, because we tried yeah. to bring on brothers and sisters who are doing different things, who are almost just in the, the starting stages of creating their voice in this little community. So it really is a really nice way to get to hear some different things. Like you can be at the beginning stages of like, like who knows? Maybe these guys will all become famous. Who knows? And yeah. you'll, you'll be like, listen, I listened from the beginning because of the mega feed. Yeah. And I've, I've said this before. I've said it a couple times. Um, we, the, the Society of Reform Podcasters wants to be a place that not only sort of uh, collates and, and joins forces with existing reformed podcasts. If you go back in our backlog, uh, there's an episode uh, called What Is It? I think it's What Does It Mean to Be Reformed or something along those lines. And that was when we launched the network the first time. And we talked during that podcast episode about uh, what what we mean when we say reformed in reference to the Society of Reform podcasters, um, which that's a term that, you know, everybody defines a little differently. So go back and listen to that. But if you're wanting to start a podcast and you're not sure where to start, shoot us an email, uh, uh, you know, whether we're going to help you sort of formally and, and sort of launch you as part of the society or whether you're just looking to pick someone's brain. Uh, we want to help start good, um, good reformed theological podcasts. And then also, um, you know, we've been looking or I've been looking for quite a long time for a really good technical 
uh, more academic um, Reformed Baptist 1689 confession podcast. Um, there are a few out there that I've been listening to uh, that that I'm I'm looking at, but I, I think that's a gap in the overall Reformed podcast world. Is that that view is underrepresented? So represented. That was a I don't know what that was a malpropism. Um, so if you are a 1689 Baptist and you think you've got the academic chops to start a show, bring a friend and let's do this thing. Because I think there's so much that we share, uh, speaking for myself here as a Presbyterian, there's so much that is shared among Reformed Baptists and Reformed Presbyterians, not to underemphasize or to dismiss the differences because they're there and they're significant. But there's so much that we share that we really should be partnering, not just in the gospel. You know, we want to partner in the gospel, but partnering in advocating and advancing this this reformed, you know, theological perspective that I think really the church needs to have a better understanding of and really needs to get a hold of more. So check us out. Check out Restless. Subscribe to the mega feed. What other what other little slogans can I embed in there? But uh, it's a great show. I think you'll be edified by listening to it. Yeah, right on. That's good. Anything we can do to encourage people to listen to all this wonderful content that's out there. We keep saying it's the golden age of podcasting, but that's so true. I mean, there's yeah. just no other way to say it. It's a cliche because there really is just so much beautiful and wonderful content. And I love the idea of even in my own podcast app, sometimes I just type in certain words and I love to just browse and surf all these different things yeah. that are going on. That's actually the beauty of podcasting is it's really a niche business that does work because what you find is that you don't have to worry about scale. You can talk about something really particular and what you'll do is you'll find people that are just like yep. you that are interested in the same thing. So I like that you just basically threw down the gauntlet and said, listen, if you're academic and you're 1689, we want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. That's like do. a really particular nuanced thing. Kind of yeah. like in terms of like creating content in this medium. It's true. Well, Jesse, I want to hear from you. So what are you affirming today? That was a beautiful segue, by the way. I, I do I do try with the you can't, you can't learn that kind of podcasting from a book or a magazine. You can't. It's innate. It's <laughs> I was gonna go experiential, but yeah, innate is it's a gift <laughs> for sure. I always hesitate. I'm always reluctant. I'm always a little bit reticent to give affirmations that involve a product only because I understand that it's not like we have important voices, but you know, when somebody gives you a testimony of something that's worked for them, yeah, I always want to make sure there's something substantial behind that testimony that there's been like, can I get a witness? It's reasonable. It's been vetted. They've actually tried it out. So I've been holding on to this for a little while, but this appeals to both my, I guess, parsimonious nature and also just my unending, like synergetic quest to find affordable cell phone service. So oh, man. I am affirming with Mint Mobile, which I have now been using for almost six, seven months now. And I'm dubious of this because it's what they would call like a discount provider. But the service has been amazing. And the reason why now this is kicked up into the affirmation realm is because I converted my wife over to this as well. And just this past week, she had an issue where she wasn't receiving her voicemails. And the service that we have received from Mint Mobile has been exceptional. So I hesitate to say all this because we're not sponsored by them. Yeah. And this is like a whole product and service that kind of sometimes can seem dubious. But I pay just over $15 a month for my cell phone. Wow. And I get four gigs of data, which is plenty for me. They have an unlimited plan that's $30. And the way you basically get those discounts is you're paying in advance. 
But either way, if you can swing that, I literally, and I had a cheap cell phone plan before this, I'm literally saving hundreds of dollars every yeah. year. And I always test service coverage. Have I told you this trick, how I test service coverage? No. I use your zip code. So I use Tony's zip code because it's a very uh, rural area. Yeah. yeah. And I had this phone with me the last time I visited, so both times actually. No disruption in service or coverage. It is very good. So I would encourage you to check out Mint Mobile because it is a really great service from everything that I've tried and I've, I put it to the test. And I mean, this is the shady part that I'm going to throw myself out there with. You can get a discount if somebody refers you. So I suppose if somebody <laughs> wanted to email me, we would both get discounts, but I'm not promulgating that. I'm not putting that forward. I'm just saying I always like to find <laughs> when I find something that's like a really good just way to save money, but still get something in return, like really good value. I'm always excited to share that with people. So this is my attempt to do that. And I'm affirming with Mint Mobile. Have you heard of them before? I have. Uh, I've never really researched them though, but I, I have heard of the service. I've heard pretty good things about it. You know, it's funny. Um, unlimited plans by definition are a ripoff because you cannot use unlimited. Like it's not possible to use unlimited. So right. no matter no matter how much you use, you're actually paying for more than what you use. So some people really look at that and go like, well, that just means I can use a, a lot. But I think the best way to save money is to actually identify a plan that has a cap that is reasonable for you. And sometimes you're going to go a little over and you're going to pay more, but most of the time you're not, and you're going to pay, you know, going to pay less. So I think it's a great recommendation because, you know, everybody, no matter where your finances are at, everybody's looking to save a little bit of money and, and nobody wants to use, you know, wants to like throw money away for no good reason. So if you can save a little money and still get a good service. And I think what's interesting uh, and what bears true in your affirmation here is uh, small companies that are offering these kind of like off-brand um, services and products, they really have to have excellent customer service. Right. Because if something goes wrong, you have every reason to go, oh, it's just this tiny company. Of course, something went wrong. They really need to win you back with their excellent customer service. So that doesn't surprise me that they have really good uh, chops on that side of things. And the reason why I resisted this for so long in part two was because some people might know the fame of this company because Ryan Reynolds is one of the owners or the main owner. And so what's interesting is for me, I thought maybe this was kind of just gimmicky and it's definitely not. I think the underlying service is actually Sprint. So again, there's this whole network of, we just tend to overpay for things. I think this yeah. is one of those things generally like brand is everything. And this is, like you said, in a sense off brand, but this is certainly legitimized. All of the services are actually unlimited. You just get throttled technically. Right. So four gigs for me is totally fine. And I was just really impressed with the way that they treated uh, my wife. They actually kept reaching out to her because they had reset some stuff for her and she didn't respond, I guess, in a time frame that they thought was reasonable. So they reached back out. We're like, hey, we just want to check on you. Did what we do work? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not even sure I could get that kind of service from Comcast or Verizon that oh, they would actually be couldn't. so concerned yeah. to double check. So I've really been impressed with this. So I would say just research it and see if it suits your life. But I'm like all about getting really good value on stuff like this. And this is the kind of thing that's like a mutual exchange. The company is still making money. Obviously yep. they're profitable. And yet at the same time, I'm getting the kind of service that I really need. So yeah, I'm super stoked. Also, one last thing. They're super brilliant. I think they're a very clever company. Like all of their marketing, all their spiels, all the materials they send is super encouraging, super like light and funny and humorous. But here's one thing I've never seen a company do. When I signed up, they sent me a second SIM card and said, hey, give this to a friend to try for a month. 
if they like it, they don't even have to get a new SIM card. They can just use this one that you've given to them and they can transfer over the service. I thought that is brilliant marketing because it, yeah. because basically every company is trying to pay you to give them a shot, to right. try them out, to see that the service or the product is reasonable. And I thought that is the right way to do it. It's just yeah. like kind of a no risk, try it out because everybody's afraid when you switch carriers that the service is not going to be as good. There's going to be more drop calls. You're not going to get right. your voicemails. You're going to blow through a bunch of data. So I'm actually been very impressed. Nice. Well, uh, you prefaced our episode here with our little like 30 second pre uh, recording conference by telling me you have a doozy of a denial today. So <laughs> I'm going to cede my denial time to you. Thank you, sir. And you have the floor, sir. Thank you. This is very Robert's rules. I appreciate that. Yes. And I think you're going to want to join in on this. And I'm, okay. we are going to have to try to keep this brief because it's like I told you in our preface in our meeting, this is a return to an old favorite with a slightly different flavor. Oh, so man. what I'm denying against is the way that I've seen recently some Christians, not all Christians, but some Christians, I would say inadvertently deliberate how they apply love to their neighbors. So this is somewhat complicated, but let me unpack what I mean by that is I think I've noticed, I've been processing this for a while, that right now in our world, I'm seeing some Christians basically weigh out whether or not it is useful or efficacious for them to apply love. So in other words, I'm going to borrow from mathematics here. If you're familiar with something called like this quadratic utility function, meaning that that's just a fancy way of saying Sometimes we create models in which people basically try to establish whether there's sufficient utility, sufficient efficaciousness, sufficient function or reason to apply something. And if there is, then they do it. And we say like, that's a rational model. And I'm actually seeing, I think a lot of Christians create standards for love that are based on rationality. And what I'm understanding when I read the scriptures is that love is not irrational but it does not subscribe to those standards. Right. In other words, it's not about whether or not when I show love, it will be efficacious. Therefore, I will show the love. Love is a higher standard altogether. That's what Paul is right. saying. So yeah. instead, Christians will take this strategy where it's almost like game theory. You know, game theory is this idea that there's a set of tools that decision makers use to consider responses by other rival decision makers. And they want to get themselves to a place where they're in equilibrium. In other words, the person that is their rival is not incented to move in another direction and nor are they. They basically come to like a stalemate or a standstill. I make a decision based on what somebody else is going to do. And because we're both thinking that way, we end up in a place where another of us are, are likely to move away from that decision. So here's where the application comes in and here's where people are about to get triggered. <laughs> are you ready? So of course I have an example of this in my mind. And the example again, here is the old favorite with a slightly new direction is once again in mask wearing yes. because I am seeing that a lot of Christians, I, I want to say a lot, not everybody, but a lot are starting to move in this direction where it's like, well, if the, you can provide me with a certain amount of proof that this is actually helpful, then I'm willing to undertake that. But that's a decision of quadratic utility function of maximizing some kind of rational decision-making 
when I think the law of love, as Christ exhibits to us and actually frees us up to exhibit, is one that doesn't use that kind of formula. In other words, it's not about, I will do the loving thing if my neighbor perceives it as loving and efficacious. I will, for instance, shovel my neighbor's walkway if I know they're going to need to leave that day. But if they're not, then why would I do that? Because they're not in any danger. So that's kind of where I'm at. How far off have I gone? No, I think you're spot on. You know, I think I think there's there's a couple things to keep in mind with with the mask argument, right? There there are some people who are making the argument that masks don't actually prevent the spread of disease and therefore it it at the very most it's a outward symbol that really doesn't represent anything. Right? So if if um I put on a mask, it doesn't actually help the spread of disease then I'm not actually loving my neighbor because I'm not actually doing anything that preserves or promotes their life. And there's a certain logic to that, right? That's, that's kind of what you're talking about is there's a certain logic of like, this act is only loving if it has a certain positive effect, right? Now there is the other element that what we do, regardless of the outcome says something to our neighbors. So if our neighbor thinks that uh, we're doing something to protect them, then we are expressing to them that we care about them even if that thing doesn't protect them. Um, Now, there are also people who are going to argue that there are negative consequences to wearing masks. And so if if there's no utility, but there's a negative utility, then actually we're hurting our neighbors. That's a different different argument altogether. But uh, you you thought you were going to trigger people. Let me me just (laughs) get rid of half of our audience. Here we go. There are, and this is definitely, this is not everybody who is arguing against masks, okay? There's a very specific subset of people that I'm talking about. If you think this is a ridiculous representation of your argument, then I'm probably not talking about you. But there are a subset of people who are making basically the same argument against wearing masks that people who are are for abortion make in favor of abortion. And here's, let me unpack that a little bit. There are people who are willing to say that regardless of whether or not masks save lives, even if it were true, and they don't think it is, but even if it were true that masking concretely saves lives, right? They're still willing to say my personal liberty means that I'm not going to wear a mask because it's inconvenient to me. I don't want to do it. I don't have to do it. It's, it's my right not to do it. First of all, I don't see any any reference to wearing a mask or not wearing a mask in in the United States Constitution. So yeah, I guess you could get to to arguments about freedom of expression, but there are all sorts of of laws on the books and and government mandates on the books that regulate what we can uh, or must wear. So I don't see those arguments of having any weight. But those people are willing to say for my own personal convenience, for my own bodily autonomy, I am willing to do something regardless of whether it takes another life or hurts another person because I can, because I have a right to. That is not materially or substantively different than the person who says that a developing human being in the womb of a woman can be aborted for the convenience of the mother. That It's not. And I know that there are a lot of people that are, are angry at me for saying that. Um, like I said, if, if you think that that's a really crazy representation of your argument, I'm probably not talking about you. There's a very specific subset of people um, that this applies to. But those are the same people who are speaking the loudest about the utility of masks. Right. And those are there are people that I've encountered um, who 
have straight up said that there is a certain uh, there's a certain level of like the masking has to be effective enough to save a certain number of people before it, it it's worth doing that if it, if it only you know if it only reduces the death toll by one percent these are made up numbers but by one percent then it's not worth doing but if it were to if we were able to prove that it uh reduces the death toll by 10 percent, then yeah then we would do that and that is just i i, I just want to say this really clearly not that i ever want to say something unclearly that is ungodly sinful rationality right on and i think that's exactly what you're getting at is that the utility of the masking yes if there is zero utility and there are negative consequences which yeah there, there probably are like i'll be honest i don't love wearing masks i don't love not seeing people's faces i don't love having people know that i'm smiling or angry like i there's a utility god designed our faces to be expressive and so there's a utility to our faces being exposed to being seen that said I don't think that us looking at it and saying the utility of masks is is going to be dependent on or that whether or not we wear a mask is dependent 100% on whether there's utility and right, how much exactly. utility. If there is zero utility, then then you might have an argument. And actually, I think you do. If there's zero utility, uh, that would require proving that there's zero utility, Ex which is exactly. a, pretty steep, a pretty steep burden of proof. Yes. Um, the, um, and I, I know that people are going to say like, oh, yeah, yeah, science, scientists say different things. The overwhelming consensus of scientific literature across the board is that masks mitigate the, the spread of viral disease, of, of respiratory disease particularly. And, and anyone who wants to say otherwise, that's fine. Make your case, make your argument, do the scientific studies. That's fine. Uh, but they're not out there. They really aren't out there. And most of the time when someone tries to make an argument, it's really clear that they don't understand what is actually being said with the efficacy of masks and how they prevent the spread of disease. And here, here's the last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll toss it back to you since this is your denial. Um, the fact of the matter is that these these methods we use when we think about masking and masks are not new. And until until this somehow got politically charged in during coronavirus, nobody was arguing that that putting a mask over your face didn't help spread um, the you know droplet borne or or even aerosol borne disease. Uh, these kinds of arguments are not new. Pe people were right. frustrated and angry about masks in the Spanish flu of 1818, right? That they're, yeah, 1818, like 1918, whatever. Uh, these aren't new. The, the, the people didn't want to wear masks back then. They, they, they made the same, my, my rights, my expression arguments that are being made today. But the fact is that except for these extreme times where the government sort of steps in and says, you have to do this, most people have never had an objection to the idea of wearing a mask. Maybe they didn't do it themselves, but nobody ever said uh, wearing a mask over your face when you're sick or when you're potentially sick is somehow effacing the image of God or is a violation of my personal rights. That just wasn't a thing until this became so overly politicized in the last year. Right. And I knew that by bringing up the mask wearing thing, that would be the lightning rod for our discussion. But right. it's more broader than that. It, that's just yeah. the example that is most relevant right now, I think. But my main point, as you, I think, actually said really, really well, is that when we think about the Christian standard of love, it does not comport with this kind of analysis where you sit back in an armchair and try to figure out what is like the rational utility of whether or not I should do right. something. And part of that is expressed in this mask wearing, because if there's even in my mind, a small probability 
no matter how small, that this thing does protect your neighbor. Let's just say that it doesn't even necessarily save life, but protects life. It protects exposure just by virtue of that in some degree, in some way, then I think we are compelled as Christians. I'm not talking about unbelievers as Christians to do that thing, which is loving. And that includes like shoveling the walkway or doing something nice for your wife, even if she wouldn't notice it because utility comes from the ability of somebody to recognize that you have done something. And Jesus himself gives us this model that says the only audience that matters essentially is your heavenly father in obedience to him. And that utility is not rational by definition of any kind of metric that we would use to measure its efficaciousness in the temporal space. So that's only my point is I'm just really struggling with Christians trying to bring about all these really great, well-constructed temporal arguments, which I say, yeah, that sounds great on the face. I can see that in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, the LA Times. But what I want to hear is Christians talking about what love requires, the love of the Heavenly Father. What is agape in this situation? Not what is reasonable given we think about all of these, you know, self-imposed standards and whether or not somebody appreciates what we do and whether or not it's a hundred percent efficacious. I think we need to get back to what does love require? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're definitely right about that. I think, unfortunately the, um, the way that Christians, and I say Christians broadly, but the way, the way that some Christians, um, in, public discourse right now, at least in the, in the public eye are talking about this. It actually is turning love into a very self-focused thing. It's, it's turning love into what, what's the benefit for me or, or is it worth the drawback yes, for that, me that's to it. show love right. is, is probably more common. Right. And I don't think anybody's saying that explicitly, but it's almost like Christians forgot that self-sacrifice is the name of the game here. Like that, that's, that's Christianity 101 is like deny yourself, take up your cross. The reason Christ said that is because it was the chief example of someone giving of themselves for the benefit and for love of others. Um, you know, it's not like Jesus looked at it and went, well, I don't know how many, how many people are going to trust in me? Is it, you know, is it really worth it? Is, is it, well, there are some people that are going to look at my sacrifice on the cross and are going to, are going to not, it's not going to work for them. So, you know, why would I, why would I do that? Like, that's just not a part of the Christian reasoning. Um, Paul filled up his body with the sufferings to complete, you know, he, he did not look at it and go, well, you know, I'm going to get flogged and, and beaten a bunch. Is it really worth it? Right. Um, he, he just did what he knew was the right thing to do because of love for his his neighbor and for his brothers and sisters. So I get it. There are arguments that that these these kind, certain things don't have any actual positive effect, and so so doing them is at best an empty symbol. Uh, and empty symbols aren't actually all that valuable, if, if valuable at all. But that isn't actually describe most of of the decision making that most people are making. Um, right. I actually don't know many people that are saying masks do absolutely nothing. They're really more saying, even if they do something, it's not worth it. And that, that to me just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and again, the last thing I'll say is that this falls on me with heavy conviction. That's why I've been thinking about it so much. And it's really a call back to assess our attitudes when we come to serving and loving others. And to, I just want to make sure that as Christians, we are exemplifying the love of our Lord Jesus Christ by using the standards and methods of assessment that are commensurate with love 
and not with pure rationality. Of course, love is influenced by the rational mind which God has given us, but it's so much more than that. So if we just stop there in that standard, I really struggle with that because this whole idea of Jesus, you know, in the temple, seeing a cross from the money box and seeing he, he be the one who sees and calls to attention his disciples, the gift of the woman who gives all that she has. And then he unpacks why that is so meaningful is no less, I think, important than the person who says, well, I'm going to, in my own neighborhood, shovel the you know cantankerous widow's walkway, even if she never sees it because she never goes out. It's this kind of obedience. Like that would never happen under rational expectation because it would be like, you would say, you could easily rationalize, well, I'm still being loving because I've considered the fact that it's somebody whom I ought to watch out for. But am I watching out for her? I know that she doesn't go out. And so therefore, I'm just going to not shovel the walkway. I think it's a greater gift toward God and toward loving others when we just do it anyway. And so even in that example, there's like maybe a small possibility and probability that she would leave the house on the day maybe she's a doctor's appointment or she need to get the groceries herself. Again, I think there's so many ways for us to relate this to mask wearing, but I'm just calling all Christians and especially myself to continue to not get fatigue with being loving and to follow what the scriptures say to never cease, to not weary in doing good because this is the work of God in our lives and for our neighbors. And I think we can be great examples in this way. Yeah, let, let me read a little bit of scripture here just to sort of put a punctuation point on this. So I, I've been thinking a lot about coronavirus and masking, and you know, the, a lot of times the quarantine requirements in Leviticus come up. I actually don't think the quarantine requirements are the best analog to wearing masks. I actually think it's probably more along the lines of building a fence around your roof. But I ran across this in my um, devotions the other day, and it really struck me. It's from Deuteronomy 22. Uh, Verse one, it says, you shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. Uh, You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you uh, and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. You shall do the same with his donkey or his garment or any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and finds, you may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him lift them up again. In Leviticus, this same kind of law actually says your enemy's ox you're not allowed to ignore. And where this comes in, right, this is exactly contrary to the perspective that you're you're denying here. In this passage, you find a random donkey wandering on the on the road. You have no idea whose it is, whether they are local, whether they live far away. You are expected to bring that donkey home and take care of it until some hypothetical point in the future that may never come where someone comes looking for that donkey. That is is personal expense to you. It's it's time, it's energy, it's probably going to cost you money. Um, you know, it's, it's going to, there's probably going to be the potentially legal questions later. What happens if the donkey mates with one of your donkeys? Who's, you know, who's, whose is the donkeys? I mean, there's all these different things that come across it. And, and here's, here's the problem with the way most Christians are approaching it. They're going, well, what's the utility? Isn't it really just a form of stealing if I take someone else's donkey? Like that's how they're reasoning about this. The fact of the matter is the outcome is not even in view here. Right. Because, yes, the, the end game purpose of this is for that donkey to be safe. And when this guy comes looking for it, to be able to restore it to him. But there's there's no provision for and it's explicitly denied in here if you don't even know whose it is. 
Right. I mean, I mean, yes, right. there's probably exactly. some utility you're going to get from that donkey while you have it. Like, it doesn't say you can't put the donkey to work. You know, the sheep, it doesn't say you can't shear the sheep or milk the sheep. Like, you, you might get that. But also, that domestic, domesticated animal is not yours, and it's probably not going to respond to you right away. You're probably going to have to retrain it to be able to serve as your domesticated animal for a while. So at, at the very least, there's a cost involvement of time and energy. You have to feed it. You have to care for it. If it gets sick, you're expected to care for it that way. You treat it as though it was your own. And and a Christian, granted, this is the Old Testament law, right? If I find a car on the street, I'm not expected to hotwire and bring it home. But the Christian looking at this passage should see loud and clear that the point is, that there's something that I can do to love my neighbor, even if I don't even know who that neighbor is. Right on. And I'm obligated to do that, regardless of if that neighbor ever understands or knows or benefits from it. I still have an obligation because ultimately, as you said, that obligation is to God. The obligation to care for my neighbor's ox is to God. The obligation to put a fence around the roof of my house has nothing to do with whether or not in some hypothetical future someone is going to go up there. I have an obligation because God commanded me to do it. And that's where I think so much is missing out of this conversation. I mean, I, we, we, we could and have done whole episodes on this, so we really have to move on. But you're hitting it right on the spot. I, I think I'm so frustrated with how a lot of Christians, particularly in the public sphere, are just making fools of themselves in front of the world. And they're just making—atheists look at us and go, I thought you guys were supposed to love each other. I thought you were supposed to take care of each other. And you're going on Caribbean cruises when there's a pandemic going on. Like, first of all, can't that money be spent in some other way? Like, there's all these things that the atheists are looking at us or other religions are looking at us going, you guys are idiots. And we're bringing shame on the name of Christ because we're not willing to do basic things to show that we're willing to sacrifice for those around us. Right. Well, Sorry. what I'll say before I put us into David Murray's book, and we have probably just enough time to cover this chapter, is <laughs> how dare you? Because mm-hmm. you, the, just as two weeks ago, I, for the first time, highlighted that verse in Leviticus that you just referenced. And that's what I was oh, going to bring up because I was so blown away by this standard that God gives his people. And part of giving the standard, as you know, is not just to say, hey, I want you to do nice things to basically right. like go above and beyond. He's emphasizing you're a different people. You're called to different things. That there is, let's say, like a, a morality or an ethical standard written on the hearts of men because they are created in the image of God. And yet Jesus and God are always going above and beyond that standard because they're emphasizing that as people who are separate and distinct from everybody else, this is how you ought to behave. So I do think you're also, of course, right on that. The law gives us this window. It's looking, at least in the Old Testament, it's like peering through the keyhole. And what we find on the other side of the door is just this massive requirement of love and the love that we're required to exhibit is for the benefit and the glorification of God, not purely for utility in human interaction. And so I think that's the thing that I'm seeing. And part of it's, we're just exhausted and we're tired and we're clouded by political perspective. And again, I'm not saying that all those things aren't helpful and sometimes useful in our ability to formulate ideas at the end of the day, in the final analysis, ultimately, Jesus Christ gets precedence and it's what he commands us to do in being obedient to him. That is the ultimate way in which we ought to respond. So with that said, before we, this becomes (laughs) the entire episode, actually in some ways this is a, there's a good connection here. So we're continuing in uh, David Murray's book called reset. 
And I want to encourage people. I was actually so encouraged this week to find that in the Reformed Brotherhood Facebook group, there were some talking about that they're tracking with us. And somebody had called out and asked, who is following along? So I'm so glad the people are tracking with us. We're in chapter four called uh, the Repair Bay 4. And this title is somewhat creative because uh, Mr. Murray has called it Recreate, and it's all about recreation. Yeah. So let's start with what was it about this chapter that you thought was important enough for him to include this in the book? Yeah, well, I mean, I think his overall program here is to sort of respond to various areas that Christians have ignored. Um, maybe not every chapter has been like that or will be like that, but so far the two repair bays that we've been through uh, are are definitely like that, right? We, we neglect sleep because we don't think it's all that important. That says something about our theology. We neglect physical exercise because we don't think it's all that important. That says something about our theology. So I think I think his... The reason for including this is just like sleep, our bodies need exercise. And if we don't do it, that's going to have implications in terms of the longevity and the sustainability of our of our um, ministry, of our lives. You know, it's I, I, I want to I, I want to throw this out here now. Um, Vodibachum is a famous preacher, evangelist, teacher. I've never been a huge Vody Bochum fan. I, I just his style is not my thing, and and but whatever. But he recently posted uh, a, basically a call to prayer that he didn't realize it, but he was suffering for heart failure, and he ignored the signs. He uh, he came home and he was suffering. What they they assume he was suffering from heart failure at the time, and then he went on like another worldwide preaching tour. Um, we saw the same thing happen with. Um, uh, my brain just left me. The I'm, I'm talking about you, guy. Um, Paul Washer, right? He, he, uh, he had like a heart attack because he was pushing himself so hard. And, and these things are real. Like these are real things. Uh, these are real issues that people have. And whatever you think about Vody Balkan's ministry, I, I don't know much about it. I think he's a fine guy. I think he's doing good things, but his ministry may be cut short by death because he didn't take care of his body. And so these kinds of things, and, and I want to say, I like, I pray for, I'm be, I've been praying for him. Please pray for Vody Balcom. I hope that he recovers and I hope that his ministry continues. But there, there's a reality to the fact that his ministry may be sh- cu- uh, cut short by death because he at least apparently didn't take care of his body and he ignored warning signs that his body was failing him uh, and continue to push on. There is no godliness in uh, ignoring physical, right. um, physical signs that your body is failing. There, there's none. Um, there's a difference between denying your flesh and ignoring your flesh, right? And, and I think sometimes, and the reason that this is in here, and this is actually his whole intro to the book, was that he was ignoring his body, not denying his body. The, the di- distinction there is really important. Right. And what we're saying with Fadi Bakum or Paul Washer is, not necessarily that. I mean, in many of those cases, there was you know a predisposition because of their genetics toward this right. type of thing. Right. All we're saying is it's actually easier than you think to get yourself in a place where even if you're exhibiting all this energy for God, that you can actually it can actually result in ill consequences to your health. That's all we're saying. It's actually far easier than we think, and that in some ways is because. As David Murray has said elsewhere, we don't view ourselves purely as contingent beings. So even if you're predisposed genetically, all this basically says is this just gives us more reason to understand that we are contingent beings. And therefore, because of that, we ought to look to the Lord of life 
And establishing God as like the life giver is not just like explicitly a spiritual component. It's also a physical component. So he's given us life in our bodies. And so because of that, he is the Lord of our bodies, that he does also know best for us, that he gives us warning signs in his kindness. And again, this establishes for us, in fact, many ways, this might expand or deepen our obedience to him when we understand that everything is because of him that we exactly, yeah. as Paul says in quoting elsewhere, we live and move and have our being in him. And I think the most important thing that Mr. Murray says in this chapter is that he asks the question, is our obsessive work ethic self-defeating? Because most of us feel like an obsessive work ethic is actually a thing that sets us apart. It's allowed us to get ahead, even if that is in a vocational context toward ministry to God. And so he sets up this chapter by saying, exercise is God's gracious gift. There's so many wonderful benefits of it. And where I want to immediately push back on all of our listeners, because I've been pushing back on myself with this, is even in some of the commentaries I saw online in our Facebook group, is that there's a tendency, I think, to read these chapters and say, well, he talked about sleep, he talked about exercise. I get it. Those things are important. You may or may not be convicted to do those things with greater resolve. But there's a tendency to say, well, those are not really profound things. I'm reading this book and it seems like very basic. And yes, of course, that's fine. I actually would challenge everybody to say that the profound nature of this book is in actually trying out and putting into practice the things that he's stating. It's in testing the ideas and seeing whether God delivers the graciousness that Murray is purporting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, I've had that feeling as I've been reading it, like, yeah, yeah, like exercise, I get it. Like, we got to take care of our bodies. But but basic is the right word, right? And I think a lot of times we hear basic and we think uh, simple or, like, obvious. We think, we think those kinds of concepts. But something that's basic, it, it means foundational, right? Like right. the base of a building, the foundation of a building, is that these, these things are so ground level that it's almost like we ignore them. Like, how many people walk up to an amazing building in Manhattan. Like they go to the Empire State Building and then they look at the ground and see that it's built on this ridiculous, this ridiculous feat of engineering. You know, in order in order to sustain a building that tall, there had to be this foundation that was laid that was able to hold all that weight without without shattering and cracking, right? That's what we're talking about in most of this book. Is that we think about we look at the edifice of ministry, you know, in this, like I said, he's primarily talking to pastors, but we look at the edifice of ministry or the edifice of our our careers or whatever it might be that we're we're kind of building. These are the things that have to be in place on the ground floor in order for the rest of it to even work. And, and you know, I think about my own life, and there have been times where I look back and I was so unhealthy and I wasn't getting enough sleep. And and I look and I can see there are career issues that were going on. I actually, you know, I remember I I used to be uh, when I worked at Best Buy in the store. There was a period of time where I, I was just making mistake after mistake after mistake, and I was actually like damaging customer products because of my mistakes. And at the time, I remember I remember thinking like I got to get more sleep because I'm exhausted all the time and I'm making stupid mistakes as I try to repair these products. And it's something so straightforward. And, you know, I, I don't think we need to go through all of the like steps he talks about. Like you, you guys are, are smart, you know, like, you know what it means to, to exercise. That's not, we don't need to belabor all of those points. I'd encourage you to read it because he has some interesting and insightful things to say about it. It's simple things like don't start off too fast. Like don't, don't think you're going to get up tomorrow and run a marathon. If you haven't, if you haven't even walked for 20 minutes every day, day for a couple like it's it's simple things start off small 
you know, work on the the easy things first and then build up your pace, build up your tolerance. Like all of that, fine. Like we don't need to belabor that. But the fundamental foundational kind of surprising element of this chapter is just how how much this actually affects everything, right? He right. talks about how how people who who sit for more than uh, 23 hours a week are like 45% more likely to die, you know, or, or like things like that that you wouldn't even think about, you wouldn't even necessarily pay attention to, but there's a reason why your Fitbit or your Apple Watch or whatever has a metric to get you to stand up because all of the scientific data has showed that if you if you sit on your butt for nine hours a day and you don't get out of your chair that you're, there's going to be long-term health repercussions. And, you know, I I know that the passages that talk about, like, the body as a temple, sometimes those get taken out of context and abused. The fact is that God has created our bodies for a purpose, and those purposes are contravened if we, if we abuse or don't take care of our bodies. I mean, it's as simple as that. We've been given this blessing and this gift. We have one physical life to live. We have one life to live on this side of eternity, to do the work of ministry, to do the work of evangelism, to do whatever it is that God has called you to. You have you get one shot at that. And if you if you don't take care of your body, you don't take care of your mind and your uh, physical existence and everything that comes with that, you obviously in God's providence, all those reformed disclaimers, like we're reformed, we get it. But you you very well could be shortening your time to do that work in a way that is not honoring or glorifying to God. We mentioned right. it last week. Martin Luther and John Calvin died young. They died younger than they probably should have because when they were in their their monastic periods, they abused their body. They you know, Martin Luther had lifelong gastrointestinal issues because of his diet when he was a monk. And that that plagued him and ultimately was probably part of what contributed to his death. I mean, he died of a heart attack, they they think, based on the records, but but he he had we joke about, like I joke about how he would write letters to his wife about how he was constipated and he hadn't had a bowel movement for like two months. And she would send back like a remedy that he could drink and it would help. Like she was she was doing medicine basically, giving him laxative formulas. But that's because he screwed up his whole system. Think about how much more effective he could have been in ministry if he wasn't constantly plaguing these. Calvin had a headache for like two and a half years that that a lot of people contribute to lack of sleep and over like stress. And and he had to at times couldn't minister because he had this constant headache that he couldn't deal with. So I just think it's so important for us to look at this and really, really get it internalized that like I have one body that God has given me. I am obligated to take care of that body as best as I can. Right. That's well said. And of course, what we're saying and what Murray's saying is not that, of course, at times God tests us or causes us to rely on him in more profound ways because we go through periods of convalescence or some kind of other illness, and that may be genetic or otherwise. It's just that what he's out trying to emphasize here is that sometimes the church, let's just say believers sometimes generally, they see neglecting the body as some kind of virtue or mark of super right. spirituality. I've definitely been there. And somewhere along the way, we can sometimes equate recreation as worldliness that, well, that's like a waste of time. Right. And God has made the body to move. And actually what I like that he emphasizes is two things. First is that he draws some attention to the fact that when it comes to exercise and in fact, all things, theology or otherwise, there is at the extremes only error. So what he's not saying is you need to be like hyper-focused on recreation or exercise, that that is not healthy in and of itself. So to go all the way out, and I'm going to pick on a group because they're just so easy to pick on. So I'm going to be totally pejorative in this way. 
CrossFit. It's almost impossible <laughs> not to know that somebody does CrossFit because they'll let you know within like the first five minutes of talking to them right. and they're probably going to call you bro. But the bottom line is like that can be a useful means of doing good exercise. In other words, like exercise can be like formalized and very structured. You can go to a gym, you can go to run, you can join a group of people and do that. And actually in some way, that's a beautiful gift of God because you're getting to interact with people that are different right. from you, but have this thing automatically in common. And this itself can be a great way to actually be a minister to God. I've already shared, for instance, my wife has been that way to people in her own running group. I think that's an amazing thing. Like in lots of ways, exercise does force you into social situations, even if all you do, which is sometimes all I do, is go walk in the neighborhood in which I live because I'm actually seeing the people who live there. I'm getting to know them in some way. I'm at least recognizing who they are. And I've said to my wife, there's one woman who I've seen for years. And finally, when I was running one day, I stopped and introduced myself. And now Pat and I know each other by name. And we yeah. make conversation, even if all I'm doing is running by. I'd like to think that in some way, every time I say and go out of my way to make sure that I greet her, that I'm showing that I'm different from everybody else who doesn't do that in the neighborhood. And I'm learning something about, also, she has a dog named Rafa. I'm pretty sure she doesn't listen to this podcast, but she has a dog named Rafa, which I think <laughs> is like an awesome name for a dog. So like these little things God can use. And then beyond that, I love that Murray focuses in the second way on how exercise can also just be doing just fun or maybe even mundane physical activities, but yeah. we're reorienting our mind toward those things. So mowing the lawn is an act of grace in physical exercise. Let's embrace it that way. Yeah. Shoveling snow is the same way. Chopping wood. I mean, what else do people do? Like putting up shelves, woodwork, whatever it is that uses your body. Yeah. That these are just wonderful things. And we don't need to say, well, I don't exercise because I don't go out and run 10 miles, or I don't do CrossFit. If we're constantly engaging our bodies, even in what we might consider mundane, physical, chore-related activities, I think what Murray is saying here is do that thing and rejoice in it because God yeah. has given that to you to make your body more healthy, to relieve stress, to build brain cells. Like, How can we not look at these things, all these studies that show the importance of exercise, not say, that is a gift from God. And when I fail to do that, in even a small way, I'm actually choosing to not receive a gift from God. Yeah. Yeah, I want to I wanna run through a, a biblical passage that I think sometimes is taken out of context that actually I think speaks to this, right? So this is from um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And a lot of times people will bring up this passage. It's starting in verse 7. This has nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And now I've heard it. I've heard people, they, they I don't want to be insulting to any particular person because there's actually people that I respect who take this approach. But I've, I've heard some people um, who... I think sometimes think they're a little bit better at Greek than they actually are, who will, will pull this word some, this word some out, and they'll go to the Greek and they'll well, actually what this means is little or limited. And so they read it and say, um, bodily training is of limited value or is of, of small value, of little value. And they use it to, to argue that this passage is basically saying, um, that physical training is not a bit like, don't, don't worry. Don't bother with that. It's only, right. of, it's only of limited value. Minimal. Right. The reality is that what, what the passage is saying is that in contrast to training for godliness, physical training has value, but it's limited. It's temporal. It's, it has a finite value. 
not that it doesn't have a value, right? And and so Paul later on says to Timothy, take take some take a little wine for your stomach, right? That that same word, right? He's saying use a limited amount, use a use a finite amount of wine for your stomach as a medicine. And and here's where I think people go go wrong on this is at, what is my motto about the Bible and about about understanding a passage? Just read a little bit more, right? So if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be right. received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Right? So Paul right here is, is excluding asceticism as a valuable thing. So if you take this passage to mean asceticism, right? Abuse your body to, to make it conform, right? That that's not what Paul is talking about. And so I think we have to acknowledge actually that this passage is saying the opposite of what most, I shouldn't say most of what some people make it to say. Paul is not saying just don't bother with exercise because it has limited value. What he's saying is he's acknowledging it has value. It has limited value. It has finite value in relation to training for godliness. It has, it, it, it's not a comparison because that has relatively infinite value versus the relatively finite value of physical training. Right. But he's saying it has value. And I think that, you know, th- this is just one passage, right? We could go throughout all sorts of places in the Bible that talk about the importance of life. Right, the, the sixth commandment. We talked about it last week. That the proper use of sleep is part of what's commanded in the sixth commandment, and and the the uh, neglect of the proper use of sleep is part of what's forbidden in the sixth commandment. The fact of the matter is that exercise, physical training, all of that is part of it. Now, nobody, I'm not saying Jesse's not saying you got to go out and become a marathon runner or a bodybuilder. Exactly. No one's saying you have to do 200 push-ups every day or ride the bike for to- for three hours. I get it. Like this stuff is hard. It's hard to find time. I actually found myself as I was reading and he's saying like, yeah, I go to the gym, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, four times a week. I was like, it must be nice to have that kind of time to be able to go to the gym for 40 minutes, three or four times a week. Like I, I, I just can't do that. I don't have the flexibility in my schedule to do that. But what I do have the flexibility in my schedule to do is to get on the exercise bike for 15 minutes or 20 minutes every morning. And as I'm watching TV, I just drag the exercise bike a little bit. And instead of just sitting on my butt while watching TV, I sit on the exercise bike for 20 or 30 minutes while I'm watching Cobra Kai or whatever stupid TV show I'm watching. Right. <laughs> and, and I, I read, I read books while I'm, I'm on my bike. I read right. reset, uh, you know, last week when I was doing this, the chapter on sleep, I read it while I was riding the exercise bike because there are lots of things that we can do that are useful that, uh, we can also combine with exercise, right? Yes. You can, if you're going to, if you're going to devote time, I know people who set aside time to listen to podcasts. Well, instead of sitting on your butt and listening to podcasts, why don't you walk and listen to podcasts? I mean, it's it's these little tweaks that then have have a large uh, return on investment, right? I can put a little bit of effort forward, and instead of sitting around on the on my butt watching Wandavision, I can hop on that bike and I can spend twenty to thirty minutes out of and maybe it's a super low pace. Maybe it's just keeping my legs moving a tiny bit because I don't want to work up a sweat. That still has value. It still has a positive impact on your overall physical and psychosocial health. And I think that this is just something that Christians for so long, let me phrase it this way. There are a lot more Christians who think like Roman Catholic monks uh, than they do like Protestant reformers in this area. 
They think that abusing and denying the body is somehow the same as what the what the um, apostles talk about when they say to deny the flesh. The flesh is the sinful impulses of your of right. your body and spirit, right? Your body's need for sleep or or good food or or sex with your spouse or exercise, like all of these things that are gifts from God. God has not commanded us to to withdraw from those. So we need to we need to take advantage of the good gifts that God has given us because they're given to us for a purpose. Yeah, I agree. That's a, a really great way, I think, to sum up the chapter. So, and we don't want to steal too much of David Murray's thunder here. I hope that people will go out and grab the book and get a more fully orbed understanding of the things we've been trying to summarize that he writes in this particular chapter, because it's worth the time. And once again, I would encourage you to say, don't judge it just on the face. It's one thing to just read it and give intellectual assent to what he's saying. It's another thing to actually try it out. And I trust that because we have readers and listeners here that are of a nature where they're very rationally minded, that you know what is exercise for you. And we're not right. saying, like Tony said, that everybody should go out and join a CrossFit gym or go out and try to run a million miles. You'll know, what I think, what is best for you. And of course, if you're trying to undertake any kind of rigorous exercise program, you ought to consult a professional on that. At the same time, we live in this glorious age where, especially because of everything with respect to COVID that has isolated us, that has caused physical separation, there's so many great resources right now to be able to exercise at home, do little things, everything from yoga and stretching, not the weird yoga, but just getting your body moving to all of this wonderful stuff for small exercise programs that are available online. For instance, if you're a Fitbit user and I am, I know that Fitbit has released all these wonderful things in their app short exercises, short little bursts of things that you can do just to get your heart rate elevated. It's wonderful. And I think I, here's what I'll say as a challenge. I've never talked to any person, especially Christian, but even unbeliever, I've never talked to any person who, even though they knew the exercise would be good for them, who hasn't been in some way surprised disproportionately at how good the exercise was once they started. Yeah, I've never talked to that person. Yeah. They've always said like, yeah, I knew it was going to be this good. I didn't know I'd feel this good or that it would help me with my stress this much or that I'd sleep much more better this way. So, and I think that is a common grace of God that yeah. he actually, because he designs the body, he knows what's best for us. There's nothing like doing something that causes you a little bit of physical exhaustion. So whatever that thing is, I would encourage our listeners to get after that. Yeah, I want to make one recommendation. I've mentioned it a little bit in the past. I haven't been able to be as active as I wanted to be um, over the past couple of weeks. But there is an, a group called the Global Martial Arts University. And um, you can sign up for a free account and you can actually go all the way through their white belt training course, which is a pretty extensive course. You can all the, go all the way through it without having to pay anything. It's got video courses. It's got exercises that you can do. Um, and the, the way that they structure each class involves cardiovascular exercise and involves, you know, body weight, strength training. So if you're looking for something that's a little more guided than just hop on the cycle and, and ride for 15 minutes, this is a good way to do it. And, and I have not, like I said, I'm not all the way into it, but I have not encountered some of the weird Eastern mysticism that sometimes accompanies martial arts programs in this. This is much more focused on the physicality and the exercise of it. Um, I'm not saying it's not there. I just haven't run into it yet. 
Um, so check that out. Global Mart. Uh, it's globalmartialarts.university is the website. And like I said, you can get a free account. They do get a little spammy with the emails, but the a, a quick uh, click on the unsubscribe button will do that. Uh, we'll take care of that for you. Um, and then also, you know, my wife and I picked up a really inexpensive exercise bike. And it doesn't have all the features that I maybe would want it to. You know, it's it's pretty basic and it's it doesn't have any adjustability to the to the style of biking or anything like that. But you can pick up relatively inexpensive exercise equipment like that that can really make a difference. And I think if you uh, if you commit yourself to doing a little bit of exercise every day, you will be surprised at how quickly you see physical benefit and results right from your exercise. You know, I, I, um, I'm a little bit overweight. I know that I need to lose some weight. I was surprised at how little effort it actually took me to start losing a little bit of weight with just a little bit of exercise every day. Um, now again, if you have, it, everybody should talk to their doctor. Everybody's body is different. It's, some people have genetic predisposition that makes it easier or harder to lose weight. Uh, all of that disclaimer there, um, cause I know we're going to get an email from someone that's like, don't, don't say that stuff. Um, but you, you should think about it because it really is important. And as I said, people like, um, people like Vody Balcom or, uh, Paul Washer who've experienced these health crises almost across the board, they look back and go, I really wish that I had taken more time to, to take care of my health because they see, even if they come out of it on the other side and they're, they're ba- basically able to get back to ministry, they see how, much it devastated them physically and devastated their ministry in some ways. It took time away from their their things. Some of them have to end up canceling speaking engagements and right. not being able to fulfill on commitments. All of that, all of that is actually just like a tiny, tiny glimpse of the consequences. Because just like David Murray said, like you may pull into the repair bay and never pull out if you don't do if you don't take this stuff seriously. Right. Yeah, that's well said. I mean I think the best place for us to end this is to remind everybody that we're in this together. And I really mean that. So like you listening, I'm talking to like you right now, who's listening to us in your car, on the road, wherever it is you're at in your home. We're not trying to talk at you. We're all in this together. In fact, I was just thinking this week about how the wonderful thing, at least the way in which we tried to present and create this podcast is that it is a community. The reformed brotherhood is not just you and me. It's all those brothers and sisters who unite in Christ. And so I love just like Luther would gather around his actual dining table, all these different people and they have conversations about theology. That's, I think in some way what we've tried to create or we endeavor to create all along. And so let's do this kind of thing together. It's not about like us trying to win you over to a particular argument here or even David Murray's argument, but try to understand what it means to love God and to serve him. And then also to respect the fact that he's given us life spiritually and bodily. And how then do we understand our responsibilities because of the way that he has created us in that way? So to that end, I also want to thank those who continue to listen, who rally around, who send voicemails please send more voicemails. But of course, especially I want to thank those who have said, you know, we want to stand with you. And the way we express that in particular is by funding the thing that we have going on here. So we have yet another brother who joined the ranks of giving and we're always appreciative of those people. Yeah. So brother Troy, we just thank you so much for giving to the podcast. And again, 
We thank everybody who invests in this, who even takes some of what we said and maybe turns it into conversation with their loved ones or decides to use this as a foil or springboard for conversation in their own lives. This is what it means to be part of the brotherhood. And so we're especially thankful to Brother Troy for being willing to give above and beyond and to support what we're doing here. Thank you so much. Yeah. I just have one question for you, Jesse. Yes. Okay. I have two questions for you. Okay. First of all, the first question (laughs) is... Are you going to be embarrassed if I tell all of our listeners that you have a resting heart rate of like 32? <laughs> it's not that low. That's the second sure. question is it's like 56. It's like it's like in the 50s, I think, the last time you shared it with me. Jesse is Jesse is a very humble runner, uh, in terms of his not humble like he's not a good runner, like humble in terms of like almost he anybody can run. Almost he downplays <laughs> how can do it, effective can do of it. a runner he is. The second question is, yeah. do I need to put like a PG-13 tag on this since I said the word sex now? I think yeah, I do. Pro- probably. And also, yeah. I'll be honest, there was for me, You maybe you didn't perceive it, maybe you did. I had a visceral response for just like a second, only because like you're married to my sister. Yeah. So yeah, it's a when, little weird. When you when you said that word in the context of exercise, which again is totally appropriate in any other circumstance, <laughs> I would need to stop. <laughs> yeah, I would not be impacted by that. But I, I was a bit like there was a part of me that was like, oh my gosh, just in my own mind, I was like, move beyond it, just move beyond it. So yes, I, I, I tried to move forward. If we had Patreon listeners, I'd say that we'd cut this out and it'd be like the the special <laughs> Patreon access, but everybody gets the same access. That's true. Well, speaking of which, if for some reason, like Brother Troy, you're feeling like you'd like to give to the podcast, and again, we just appreciate that so much. Your first commitment is always, always to your local church. If you have means be of above, above and beyond that and would like to give, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com and in the upper right-hand corner under the Join the Brotherhood, there's a link there to give. But we would say first, of course, give to your church and to the Lord's work that's happening locally. Yes. Uh, but uh, again, we're just so thankful for everybody that supports us. And I really, we want to hear more of your voices. So again, I keep saying this, but I don't know if like people are tired of leaving us voicemails or they don't believe me, but we need some good, like succinct voicemails with questions yeah. or comments. Succinct is always better, of course, because that allows us to, that allows us to bring your voice into the podcast and people can hear what you're asking and brevity is really the test of a good question, of course. So what's that phone number that people can call to leave us a voicemail? That phone number is 607-444-2767. Bros. Bros. Yes. All right. Well, we've done it. This was the definitive episode. I think David Murray would agree. The definitive episode on his chapter on Recreate. <laughs> yeah. Well, until the next definitive episode, Jesse, which is always <laughs> next week. <laughs> Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Uh,